Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Think Again Worship Podcast. Well, my name is Tom Dykstra, and I'm inviting you to rethink the ways you plan and lead worship. And it's because I believe that your leadership has the power to help your people experience worship that is truly life-changing, worship that reorients their lives to the hope of the gospel. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Think Again Worship Podcast. My name's Tom, and today we're going to be talking about um, what I'll call five principles of faith-forming worship. Okay, so these are five principles, but you could also think of them as phases of faith-forming gatherings. And I hope they're a tool that, that are helpful for you as you lay out or design and think about your services. But I also think that for anyone in our seats who, who are worshiping with us, um, for them to have a handle on these, these phases, I think if they understand the flow of this worship, it could, it could really significantly impact their experience. You know, we talk about, um, we have talked about worship as a journey um, that, that we're kind of taking people on. And, and for them to understand the phases could really bring the whole experience um, alive and, and significantly enhance um, their, their time in worship. So um, part of being a worship leader is being a guide and helping our people understand these things. Uh, we've said in an earlier episode that uh, worship reorients us to the gospel. Okay, and so the gospel, um, which we didn't really get into uh, before, is the good news that even though we were completely lost, um, completely separated from God, undeserving of his love and grace, he came for us. And we, we learned that Jesus uh, did everything necessary in his life, death, and resurrection to restore our relationship with God. And then as, as Lord of everything, Jesus is inviting us to participate in his transformative purposes uh, in the world, motivated uh, entirely by his power and grace. So one of the simplest definitions of worship that uh, I heard a while back um, was that worship is our thankful response to God for all he is, and all he has done. Well, the Bible is is the story, right? It's that story of God's redemptive plan to bring his people back into restored relationship with him. And for all who put their hope in Jesus, saving work on the cross, God's story awakens in us this deep gratitude, humility, and, and in a sense of awe. And Paul tells us in Colossians that every aspect of our lives can be an expression of worship that glorifies God. And he says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And and corporate worship, our gatherings are reorienting us to this story and to our identity as God's redeemed. Well, these five principles are, are phases right and and i feel that each of them are, are are critical not to say that you can't have a meaningful service without uh, one of them but but each each one kind of naturally leads into the next and if you erased one of them from our weekly practices uh it's it's kind of like removing a chapter of a five chapter story it would 
it would have a significant impact on someone understanding that story. You know, you'd notice something was missing. Well, I believe that all five play a critical role in the forming of our church family in worship. So the first one is that uh, corporate worship is God-centered. So just just like the story starts with creation, um, just as creation originates with God and what he does, our worship begins with his invitation to us to enjoy his presence. So as we gather, we remember who he is and what he has done as we begin to sing and hear scripture. And as we move toward the preaching and sacraments, they're all actions. All that we do is first and foremost, honoring God for who he is and opening our our lives, our hearts and our minds to what he is like. And then as, as his character comes into view, then those, those things that we've been running after, those preoccupations of our hearts, they, they fade in comparison. So corporate worship is God-centered. The second one, corporate worship is gospel-centered. You know, when, when we get to know what God is like, when we see who he is, one of the things that really makes, uh, that we become aware of is his holiness. And, and as we get to see his purity and his, and his perfection, his holiness, his complete otherness, um, it reminds us who we are because we start to feel that, that contrast, that the reality is that we aren't holy. You know, we are flawed, broken, uh, messed up sinners, and, and we're in need of, of a Savior, and God's holiness, then, it, it forces us to be honest, to acknowledge how sin has just wrecked our intimacy with him. And, and if it wasn't for the story of Jesus' saving work on the cross, then our sin and shame would be completely overwhelming. But, but the gospel reminds us that even though we have turned away from God, he has not turned away from us. Admitting that we have been wrong, we, we call this confession, Admitting that opens us up to receive the mercy God offers. Like we know from from the book of 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Corporate worship is gospel-centered. Third, corporate worship reestablishes our identity as God's family. So the cross brings us peace with God and repairs, restores, fixes that broken relationship with God, but it also brings us peace with each other. If we're going to gather around the cross um, wanting that kind of mercy and and grace, we have to then realize what it does to our relationships with one another. In Colossians 3, 15 through 16, uh, Paul says, that um, he calls gathered believers to, to be united by the gospel. And basically completely transformed by that peace. You know, he says, um, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. There's that word thankful again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another and with, with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts toward God. As we gather around the cross and the gospel, we, we realize that we stand on level ground. And, and, and all of our tendencies to kind of rank ourselves spiritually or to look around the room and, and pridefully kind of um, 
feel that we are better than one another. Um, there's no room for that. There's no one more worthy than another. All, all, in fact, as Paul says, all believers, uh, they all, all ages, they play a part in encouraging that worship, reminding one another who we are. Corporate worship reestablishes our identity as, as God's family. Fourth, corporate worship is word-centered. So God's character and his will is made known to us by his spirit through the preaching of his word. And if, if we don't have the assurance of his grace for us in Christ, that gospel reminder, then God's expectations, his instructions, his will for us in our lives would feel crushing. It's only when we've been reminded, it's only when we've been reoriented to the gospel that we're ready to hear God's word for us and his, his desire for us, his expectation um, to live a certain way. Corporate worship is word-centered. Well, lastly, corporate worship empowers us for mission. So now that we've been reminded of the gospel and now that we've been called in a unique way um, by God's word, whatever passage um, has been preached on that, that service, God then is, is getting ready to send us out to be ambassadors for him, ambassadors for Christ. And, and we talk about gathering for worship. And this is the, this is the scattering um, part of the service where um, he wants to send us out as agents of restoration, in in a broken and hurting world. So whether you whether you uh, you know work or go to school in your communities, your neighborhoods, basically he sends us into culture um, as as his agents of restoration. And the reality is that none of us can live that. None of us can live out that mission on our own strength. So uh, God sends us into the world with the confidence that his transformative presence that has been shaping us during this time of worship goes with us as well. And that's maybe sometimes why the pastor uh, or elder or something at the end of the service will raise his hands and say, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Being reminded that he goes with us to live this scattered life, this, this missional life, um, changed and transformed by his presence. So as we think about worship that is reorienting us to the gospel, that is, that is, that is what the gathering can do. It, it's God-centered. It's gospel-centered. It reestablishes our identity as God's family together. It, it's word-centered. It's, it's empowering us for mission. Well, there is so much we could say about how this affects our leading and our planning. But maybe for now, I'll just leave it to a couple of of basic questions. If you had those five phases in place for a worship service that you are leading, how would that feel as the worship leader? Well, I can just say from um, my own personal experience that it takes the pressure off. Now, I know we have a lot of different churches uh, represented listening. We have uh, different music styles, different levels of musical talent, different contributors, pastors, musicians, and even week to week, it all varies. But when we've got the story of God clear in the flow of our worship, the success of our services depend a lot less on me, a lot less on nailing it musically, a lot less on all the details of production coming through, And the success starts to depend a whole lot more on God. 
Or how about this? What if everyone who came to worship with you understood this progression of worship? What if they got in the habit of 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 coming to church thinking less about measuring their spiritual worth from this past week and instead they came hungry to be reminded once again of who they are in Christ. Well, here's something you could try. Maybe for five weeks, try to make sure that in your your plan for the service, these elements are there somewhere. Now, you don't have to label them uh, exactly. You don't have to just specify each and every one of them, but just make sure they're there. And um, instead of trying to like, you know, have people drink from a fire hose and get it the first week, just week by week, um, take turns highlighting each one. You don't even have to say that you're doing it. So maybe for that first week, um, as we remind people that our worship um, is God-centered, that originates in him. Maybe you maybe you have a call to worship. You know, you know, friends, welcome to worship. We remember this morning that our God is a God who saves. And, and whatever we're going through, he desires uh, to meet you and to lead you through that difficulty. So let's come and remember his promises and maybe use a scripture, you know, that goes with that. Or, or taste and see that the Lord is good. Our God, these are his words to us. He's, he's inviting us to enjoy who he is and what he is like this morning. You know, and then the second week, um, you can begin to focus more on the gospel where we say, you know, um, uh, every single week we want to practice and remember that uh, when we were separated from him and, and, and had turned our backs on him, God did not turn his back on us. In fact, he came for us. And, and he says that if we are honest about our need for him, and if we're real about our sin, that he greets us with open arms and meets us with his mercy, you know, and have an element of confession. And maybe the next week, you know, you move on to the, the reestablishing, you know, our family identity. Um, so, so you don't have to give it all at once, but just for five weeks, just plant those seeds and see if that does anything to um, shape their understanding of what's happening. Well, I'd be really curious what you took away from this episode, what was interesting, what was challenging, what was inspiring, um, what did you think was missing? And um, in a second, you'll hear my email, so feel free to, to connect with me. I'd love to hear um, your perspective on this topic. Um, one last thing you can do is take your last order of worship, maybe the last service you led or the last service you attended, and see if you can identify these phases and maybe look at you know what's missing and what could have enhanced those, those moments of worship. And um, again, just be imagining what if people you know came to worship anticipating more than just songs, time in the Bible, some more songs. And I think that we begin to, to see people coming eager and excited about engaging um, in worship. Well, thank you for listening to the Think Again Worship Podcast. As I share my perspectives and as we think about worship together, I would love to hear from you what's helpful and what's not. And if there's a question or a topic that you'd like me to dig into on the podcast, please send me an email and let me know. Tom Dykstra at gmail.com. I hope you found some value in this episode. If you did, share it with a friend or another worship leader, and I would love to have you tune in again next time. We'll see you then.